0: This is a Sunday talk by Todd Corbett, titled Appreciation and Gratitude, recorded December 9th, 2007, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. Well, as I said before, I wanted to talk a little bit about appreciation and gratitude. And start out here with a few quotes from a few different mystics about this. David Stendelrost, a contemporary Christian monk, writes of his path. He's a contemplative Christian. He says, if I should name the particular path which we are on, it would be the road of gratitude. Gratefulness is the core of spirituality. And then the Indian guru Sri Chinmoy writes, God's foremost treasure on earth is your ever-blossoming gratitude heart. And then Ayakema, a Buddhist of the Theravadan tradition, states, the heart is always the place to go. Go home into your heart where there is warmth, appreciation, gratitude, and contentment. And then finally, a quote from a Korean martial arts master, Tae Yun Kim The direct experience of the consciousness of love is gratitude. Gratitude is the process of recognizing what is true. Now, we hear these kinds of teachings, and we think, well, what about all of the hardship and all of the horrible things that are taking place in the world, seemingly? All of this irritation that we experience from time to time, discomfort, and our own impatience, how does gratitude see that? how does one have gratitude in the midst of that? It seems to be an oxymoron, in a sense, when we talk about it that way. And if we ever suggest such a thing to someone that's uh, just had a calamity in their life and everything has just been blown apart, it seems rather cruel to even suggest that they should appreciate it. It would it would require very special circumstances but there is there is a silver lining to all of our suffering and our hardship and all of the misery of the world and that is that it shows us something deep about the hopelessness of our striving to achieve some abiding, happiness in the world. Whenever we strive, we may be successful for a while, but eventually it dries up, it blows away, it changes, our appreciation for it changes, whatever it is, it ceases to be this enduring happiness that we thought it would be. And the more we see that over and over again the more it brings us to something actually quite helpful. It brings us to a kind of a humility. Humility. Humility is, is when the self begins to kind of soften a little bit. Our arrogance towards getting what we want starts to dwindle. It doesn't have the power because there's there's not as much hope that we're going to achieve some kind of enduring happiness. So we develop a sense of hopelessness on some level. Now, when we talk of hopelessness, it sounds grim. (laughs) But hopelessness is not a bad thing. The problem with hopelessness is usually, though, we don't actually lose total hope. If we lost hope completely, we would be happy. (laughs) We wouldn't have any reason not to be. It's our hope for things to be better than they are that seems to make us miserable. We always have these expectations. Something new comes into our life when we're hopeless, unless we just allow ourselves to be completely carried away by it. And often in the world, this is what happens. People go out and commit suicide because they, their hopelessness is just more than they can bear. But the blessing of spiritual practice or the blessing of recognizing divinity is actually much greater when we have this hopelessness, even if we have a little bit of hope, there is a great opportunity there to recognize something more just because our humility has been allowed to open up and our sense of self has begun to kind of break down. But often what we need when we recognize divinity, we need uh, something more than just a a brief moment of uh, an epiphany where we see, ah, there's something more. And so we come to spiritual practices. And people come to church. That's the beginning. Because, you know, you go to church and you start hearing some of the teachings of Christ and we're listening to it from a a place of humility, it tends to go deeper than if we are going there all full of ourselves and we're just going to church because that's the right thing to do. But now we're going because our self has been somehow broken and we're listening. We're listening to the teachings. We listen to the teachings... And they bring us through to a place where, in many cases, people that are really listening end up doing some kind of spiritual practice, whether it be contemplative prayer or some kind of meditation. It brings us to a place where we are having more of these spiritual experiences. So the world of suffering is kind of like a big stick whacking us, kind of like the donkey. To get the donkey to go, you're getting whacked. And then these spiritual experiences are kind of like the carrot dangled in front of the donkey. You know, the the idea of the donkey with a stick that's hooked to the harness, and it goes out in front, and there's this carrot hanging down. And the donkey's... And every step the donkey takes... The carrot moves a little bit away, and it just keeps doing that. But the donkey is walking, and we're making progress on the spiritual path. So there is value in those kinds of expectations, to a point. The value of spiritual practice, though, is that if we really take them to heart, and we really look at what the mystics are teaching we come to see in our own experience that expectations are hollow. There's nothing there. And the teachings, we begin to see directly, we see what the Buddha always said was, the teachings are a finger pointing. but It's not, the teachings are never the truth. They are pointing toward noble wisdom. So, the practices, then, are prescriptions for seeing, and there are all kinds of wonderful, skillful practices that have been handed down through the ages from the mystics of all traditions. They are, they have been finely honed, and they are injunctions for practice. They're recipes for seeing more deeply. And what they bring us is appreciation. They give us the tools. And it's funny because appreciation is, is this whole process from suffering, giving rise to hopelessness, hopelessness breaking down our sense of self. And as the self begins to crack, appreciation is born. It starts to show itself. Love. Loving what is more and more, sometimes just in fits and starts, glimpses here and there. But the more we do these practices, the more we begin to be able to appreciate. And with this appreciation comes the ability to be with all of our suffering. So it's like a circle. We break out. now the appreciation can turn and look at the suffering itself. It will look right at it. Through practice, we begin to be able to see into the nature of our suffering more and more. And as this process grows, our appreciation grows. So, if we want to be appreciative, if we want to have gratitude, we can't. It's a funny paradox. If you want something, it's selfish. I want to feel better. You're going to be miserable. So this is, the, this is a funny paradox. It's about love. And you know, you can't demand love from someone. You want them to love you. They're not going to. Why would they? You're being selfish. <laughs> so it's really it's a matter of loving them. So when you love them, they can't help but love you. You love them. But this is just this is just the tip of it. The more you love them, the more you recognize the truth, once we begin to feel into the nature of what is with appreciation, we begin to open to all of this. All the world will show itself to us, not through our stories and our beliefs, but as it actually is. So by actually feeling what is here, we experience love. We are loving. We are appreciating. But love is not picky. So if we find things that we love, and we're loving them, and then something shows up that we don't love, we don't like, then... That's not love. That's selfishness. And so the practices are bringing us to a place where we can then turn our attention back and be with that. Now we don't expect that. It's this movement of love which allows things to be as they are and it's it's wonderful as it's expressing itself, as it's gazing into things, but when something arises that is not, does not feel right, that we don't like, this is our opportunity. This is showing us something that needs to be loved. So when our lover does something that we don't like, we don't just, you know, stop loving them. We appreciate them as they are. We might be a little irritated, but we recognize the irritation for what it is. So it's an opening, it's an openness. How do we appreciate then? How do we have gratitude in the midst of difficulties like I'm describing here? What's necessary is that we must pay attention. If we if we aren't paying attention, how can we possibly appreciate our lover? If we don't if we don't aren't actually able to be with our lover, how can we possibly appreciate her? How can we love her if we can't actually be with her and see her as she truly is? So this is a kind of a funny thing. Uh anytime that we think that we'd know something or know someone we have a kind of an image we have an image of our lover and then when our lover does something that we don't like they step outside of our image we don't want to be in love with our image we want to be in love with our lover and so we open so this is the process of Allowing our lover to be what he or she truly is. And it is no different with our life, with our suffering, with our difficult circumstances. When they show themselves, we need to pay attention and see what they are as they are. And that includes our reaction to it. So if we expect things to be a certain way, we become aware, oh, this is an expectation. What is truly here? What's here before my expectation? So we fail to appreciate when we are inattentive. Theophan the Recluse, a Christian mystic, wrote, there is just one method which is obligatory for all, to stand with the attention of in the heart. All other things are beside the point. And the Buddha (coughs) in the Dhammapada said, mindfulness, attention, is the path to immortality. Negligence is the path to death. The vigilant never die, whereas the negligent are the living dead. This vigilance that he's talking about is naked attention of appreciation. There's heart in this. We're allowing ourselves to feel into the circumstance. But we we need to do this not from our selfish point of view, because it is full of likes and dislikes. Jesus said, Know what is in front of your face, and what is hidden from you shall be disclosed to you. For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And the basic teaching of the Buddha refers to life and delusion as suffering. Delusion arises due to inattention. Not paying attention. And our primary delusion, the story of I. And it colors everything. The entire world is a manifestation in a certain sense of our story of I. The way we see it all. So the self as this ongoing delusion, is the power of ignoring through its veil of beliefs. So we have beliefs about everything. And the beliefs are our expectations. And because we have expectations, it's very hard for us to appreciate what's here. Because we keep going back to our expectations and our demand that things be different than they are. The self-sense is like an eddy in the river of consciousness. There's this vast river of consciousness and there's this little eddy. and It's spinning. And what is it spinning around? It's spinning around the sense of me. The belief in me. And that is made up of all kinds of beliefs. But it's just the sense. Feel it right now. It's says, me. That's who I am. It's me. But this is a delusion in the deepest sense when we pay attention. And that swirling little eddy, once it recognizes that that thing that it's spinning around is a delusion, it's free. Doesn't have to spin there anymore, spinning around its likes and its dislikes. Zen Master Yoko Beck says If I feel that I've been hurt by you, I want to stay with my thoughts about that hurt. I want to increase my separation. It feels good to be consumed by those fiery, Self righteous thoughts. By thinking, I try to avoid feeling the pain. So by resisting, it makes us feel separate. That's our sense of self. Separate. And when we're separate in that way, that's suffering. That puts us in this narrow little box. But we feel good doing it. And the reason we feel good doing it is because we've been conditioned that way. The eddy has been conditioned that way, to turn that way. It needs attention. We need to see the conditioning as it is. And then it breaks that eddy up and it can flow along with the river of life. So it feels good to whom? It feels good to have these fiery thoughts, but who is it that it feels good to? So what we do is we justify our feelings rather than feel them. We would we would rather justify them than actually feel them because they don't feel very good. It's like, they embarrassed me. I'm embarrassed. How could they have said that? I, I just feel dreadful, but right there, that wants to be seen and felt. And when we push that away by blaming for whatever way that we do it, going out and getting drunk, whatever way, we're turning away from something. We're turning away from something very, very useful and very valuable. We're not appreciating, are we? So this avoidance that we, this avoidance activity that we do, this turning away, is actually very painful. Because when we turn away from the pain, we start, we create all of the sufferings of the self over here, which, is, which just goes on forever. Hope and fear, hope and fear. Expectation and grief over and over and over.
1: Are you talking about physical pain as well when you.?
0: I'm talking about our resistance to things that arise in our life. Physical pain is more difficult though, Mm -hmm. but as we get deeper into this, we can approach physical pain. Physical pain is a huge element for most of us as we get older. We'll start having, you know, arthritis or some kind of pain or another. Physical pain, though, is high-level practice. That's the value of getting started on it now, before the pain starts.
1: No, it's too late. <laughs> well, but
0: now if it's too late, you've got to deal with it right now. So so you can still work with it. And I, I actually know people that have that have never done any spiritual practice before and have come to severe physical pain, they meditate and they find it very helpful. There's a guy by the name of John kabat Zen runs a, a pain clinic in the University of uh, Massachusetts. And it's a pain clinic for people that can't be treated by any other means. Pain medications don't work. They have severe chronic ongoing pain. They come to him and he teaches them basically to be aware and to be with the pain. So, if you have another question about that, uh, afterwards, uh, ask. So, um, our self is defined by grasping likes and dislikes. And through that, it becomes what appears to be concrete, it just seems like, yep, I'm here. This is me. seems very solid and continuous because we're constantly, moment to moment, grasping and pushing away experience. Just in an ongoing, moment to moment fashion. We have a little bit of space opens up. We don't like it. And we fill it up with something. Grasping for something. Fill it in. Fill it in don't be aware of that don't be aware of the man behind the curtain you know it's uh we don't want to we don't want to know what's really going on this is what self is all about and consequently we hope for something better always but it's it's always empty it never gives us that abiding happiness and we come to see that and that's often what brings us to spiritual practices we, we we're starting to glimpse that So whatever we deny, like if we're feeling dreadful, we've been embarrassed, whatever we deny, we concretize. We push away our embarrassment, but somehow that creates a piece of our personality. There's something about that, it's a kind of a fear of certain situations. We turn away from sadness. We strive to be happy. We always want to be doing something. Happiness becomes something that we uh, can achieve rather than something that we are. And so we're always striving for this, this happiness that we can get. And whenever we're not getting it, like we're bored, we can't stand it. So it's this process of not being with our experience of sadness that generates all of these reified emotions. If we're afraid, instantly we're angry at that guy. It's his fault. You see, it just keeps shifting, and we're, we, we're never actually being with our immediate experience, because we don't like it, we don't want it. And so this process of, of having gratitude is a process of allowing that to be there. If we truly appreciate what is now, we don't turn away. So many here have heard the quote, Joel gives this quote a lot, uh, from the Quran, in which Muhammad asks Allah, what to tell the people when they ask, why did you create all of this? And God's reply was, I was a treasure that longed to be known. I was a treasure that loved to be known. Now, if we hear this correctly, we can see that every arising is a manifestation of God. Every arising. They are all gifts. All of this. Gifts. They're not what we think. We have our our beliefs, we have our likes and dislikes, but God is before likes and dislikes. So here we have sadness or impatience or any one of these afflictive emotions showing itself. And our first response is, oh God, I don't want to be sad. now. I, I want to feel happy. So there's the gift right there. And even that, that response to it, I want to be happy. That's a gift. They're all gifts. We just notice them. Allow them to be there. Expressing themselves. Now at first, you know, we can hear these kinds of teachings and then we go to practice or we're just living our life and things happen. It's like, what was that about? Appreciating? That's ridiculous. But as we do it, as we begin to see, it's sort of like one of those old pumps where you have to pour water in the top and you pump and then you pour some more and you pump. And after a while, you get the water started, and then you can, then it just flows out. It's just like that. We have to pay attention, and we have to pay attention with, you know, in a, in a um, committed way, repeated observation. We have to do this repeatedly, over and over. And then it's just like priming that pump the appreciation begins to flow. It doesn't feel like love at first because the conditioning is so dense. Simone Weil writes, it is only necessary to know that love is a direction and not a state of the soul. In other words, love is not necessarily a feeling. It's a direction. And so if we feel dreadful, we don't want to be aware of it. But love wants to be aware of it. So this willingness to be with what is starts to bubble up if we, if we take to heart. This. It's not about how we feel so much. It's a matter of fact, we just want to be with whatever is arising, as it's arising. In another quote by Simone Weil, who's a Christian mystic of the last century, she says, it is at those moments when we are in a bad mood, when we feel incapable of the elevation of soul that befits holy things, it is then that it is most effectual to turn our eyes towards perfect purity, For it is then that mediocrity comes to the surface of the soul and is in the best position for being burned by contact with the fire. The fire of attention. So, here we are feeling dreadful. And this is a perfect opportunity. We're wanting to say something nasty to that person and we just feel dreadful. And we recognize right in that moment that this... Is a gift. And we feel it, just as it is. We feel what we feel. We don't have to act it out. We see, we've, we've, we've been through this thousands of times. We've seen that acting it out is just more of that struggle to be happy. It's futile. So we feel our experience. Feeling what it is to be angry. Allowing it to be there just as it is. I have a question. Yes? What are you paying this tension with? Paying the attention? What are you paying it with? Awareness. Awareness is aware. But you see, from the point of view of self, <laughs> We have, we think it's me. And so we have to work with that. That's what we've got. So it's me. I'm looking. Ultimately, though, we come to see, through the process of, of working with this sense of self, we come to see that it's just pure awareness, pure consciousness. Okay, so, we're given the gift of this emotion, and if we refuse the gift, we suffer. This is something that is best understood through practice. I can talk about it here, but ultimately, they're just words. I'm pointing you to something, and we have to bring it into our own experience through practice. So, and we have a wonderful meditation. We're sitting now. We're practicing. And we're in a deep samadhi. It's great. And then suddenly there's thought starts happening. And the mind goes, Oh, darn! I don't want This! But the thoughts are a gift. Nowhere in any of the instructions for meditation have we said here that there's anything wrong with thought. Thought is a gift. There's nothing really wrong with it. We just need to allow it to be when it arises, and then we return to the breath, just like in the instructions we gave earlier. But when we see it through the eyes of appreciation, it truly is a gift. We just recognize, oh, thought. We see it and we return to our breathing. We're not fixated on it as being my thought. It's just thought. It's like a brain drop. When we're aware of sadness, sadness becomes, it develops a certain depth to it. It's not just this thing that we want to push away, but it's actually, it has depth. We feel the sadness, and it shows us all kinds of beauty. There's beauty in the sadness. So there is an art to cultivating practice with these difficult emotions, and it is, at first, it does seem to be a little overwhelming. Initially, there seems to be this flood, this avalanche of negativity when we begin to try to be with uh, difficult mind states. But as we pay attention, we we work with that. And it all starts to kind of settle down. Each manifestation of trying to have things different than they are develops a kind of a resistance. But when we remain with it, when we allow the resistance to be there, it is no longer resistance. Just because we're letting it be there. It's not a problem. Resistance is only resistance when we're trying to push it away when we allow it to be there, it has a different face entirely. So, when we start to suffer, we're feeling resistance. And when you feel that resistance, that's like the bell going off, you know, (laughs) the little bell of meditation. The bell goes off, when we feel suffering. And what we do is we just allow that to be there. Just take a moment, take a breath, and feel the resistance. Feel that pushing away. And then go along with whatever you're doing. You know, it's not about resolving it or somehow fixing it. It's about feeling it. Actually acknowledging it. And these, these habits of pushing away have... Uh, it's a deep uh, conditioning. And it, it'll take a lot of work initially to kind of cut through this. But it's a process of feeling your experience just for a few moments. Let it in. So now... When we do become aware in this way, we really need some kind of an organized approach. And what we recommend at the center and in most contemplative circles, we recommend sitting meditation to practice cultivating an awareness that is discerning, that is stable. And we recommend precept practice which is a way of framing our experience because we have this avalanche of suffering that is coming through our life in any given day. We have this opportunity with precepts to draw a little ring around certain types of, of uh, suffering and to put our attention on it. So precept practice is its very much like you know, the Ten Commandments. You could see them as sort of precepts, except they're not commandments when we use them as precepts. You know, the thing about not to kill, not to lie, not to blame. Um, these are all, uh, you know, from, from the exoteric traditions, these are kind of uh, problematic because they just induce a lot of guilt and uh, neuroses Um but when we take them on as precepts, we simply, for example, around telling a little lie or blaming, we want to we frame our experience so that when we, when we have a moment of where we feel like we're going to tell a little lie, or we're going to blame that guy for something that we're <laughs> feeling, right in that moment, it's framed and we see it. So we'll take on a precept like, uh, for example, right now in the uh, foundation studies group, the focus is, the first precept of the center here is not to blame. So to take responsibility for my life, not to blame others for my own unhappiness, nor make excuses for my own mistakes. And then for the last month or so, folks in the class have been out in their life looking to see where in their life they're blaming. When they feel a certain way, they find blaming going on. And this this is actually a very powerful practice. When we do it, we begin to see we're blaming all the time. Prior to doing precept practice, we never noticed. Or maybe we noticed once in a while. So the value of doing the precept practice is in bringing the attention into this in a more concentrated way so we can actually see how we're doing that. This is how self is created and maintained. Self is arising moment to moment. There is no self other than this moment to moment creation that we are doing constantly. And the way we work with that is we come down to see it as it actually is, as it's arising. So we see ourselves blaming, right there. We see the blaming. We see the urge to blame, and we just hold off for a moment, and we just feel. What does this feel like, and why? What is, what's behind it? Why am I wanting to blame? And it directs us to feel what we're feeling, what, we're, what we've been trained to distract ourselves from. Another one would be, say we're feeling sad and you know maybe, maybe we're, it's been raining, we have a couple of days off from work, we're gonna, we've got this great book we're going to read. We start reading it, we realize it's not very good. And so we, we don't have anything else set up in our agenda. We put the book down and now we're bored. We don't have anything to do. So right there, the mind starts going, oh, well, uh, I don't really like this very much. That's a perfect opportunity. Well, why not? What is it? Feeling into our experience is something that we forgot, forgot how to do. Usually we fill it up. Well, I better call so-and-so. Or I need to go somewhere. So just for a few minutes at least, we take the time To just sit and feel that. Love then, kind of in summary, is the power to distinguish and the willingness to distinguish what is. And when we begin to pay more attention to our experience through gratitude... Allowing attention to flourish from the heart, something opens up for us. We begin to see more completely what this is, this life. And I'll end with a quote from Jack Cornfield. He says, Stop and listen to the heart, to the wind outside, to the changing patterns of this mysterious life. It comes moment after moment out of nothing and disappears into nothing. When we see this, we live with less grasping and with more appreciation. So, are there any
2: questions or comments? Yeah, I well, nobody else has anything to say. There was an article I was reading last night by Gangaji, and it was <coughs> kind of the same thing we're talking about. The title was something like emotions, um, uh, obstacle, or I don't know, something positive like gifts or something. And she was kind of saying the same thing that you were saying, You know, taking the negative emotions and not feed them with thoughts, but really just feel them. Just really, really get the feeling. And her point was is that the more we can do that, um, actually, the less self we do have, then. Yeah. And, and it's layers, too, sometimes. She says the irritation, you know, see what's behind that, and what might be behind the others. So. Yeah. But the one thing that she said that I thought was interesting is that the negative feelings, she says, as you feel them, and really get them in your feelings, your emotions, whatever, mm. uh, the negative ones will work themselves kind of out, kind of out of the job. Where she was saying the positive things when we bring the positive things, they actually um, multiply. I, I don't know. I just thought that
0: was a... Well, yeah, it depends. If it's, if it's the kind of happy thing where we're striving to be happy, that's different. But yes. Yeah, when we begin to see the divine nature of things, mm-hmm. that does begin to multiply. It shows itself. And it shows itself everywhere. We begin to see it everywhere. And the more we can examine our difficulties, our problems we begin to see that they're really quite beautiful and at the core. There's, they are that joy. We just need to be willing to be there and look at them, appreciate them. Yeah. You know, feeling, when we are truly just feeling our experience, there is no thought. And there is no time. People often say, well, what do you mean there is no time? Well, the way you know about this... Is, it's not something that someone can tell you. It's an, it's an immediate and direct comprehension. You see it only by being present for what is. If we, you know, there's a, there's a thing when we start to think, it's like we're turning away from timelessness. We're turning away. We're creating time whenever we strive for anything. We're, you know, there's what I have now and then there's what I want to get and there are two different times. So there is this thing about uh, timelessness when you just experience it directly through just being present with what is in this moment. Just sensation. No thought, just sensation. What else had a question here? Yes. Hi.
1: So I'm wondering, I really buy into this idea of not blaming, but I have a question around Okay, so something happens, somebody does something, and I feel triggered, and I feel bad, and I can welcome that and all. But is there any place then for um, for saying, hey, when this happens, I feel. Would you be willing to do this other thing so I don't have to go through that again?
0: Oh, yes. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a totally other side to this. Like, for example, you're, you're in an automobile accident. Somebody comes out and slams into the side of your car, right? And it's mangled, or, you know, whatever. You've got... Mm-hmm a broken wrist or whatever, and and so now there's two pieces to this. There's the practical part, the thing that, well, okay, so something happened, and it's not blaming, though. It's, it's, it's sort of like our world is constructed through various aspects of a logical array. So they're going to help you with this. This is part of the process. They take care of the injury or whatever. They have their insurance policy and all that. The part of it that's the problem, and the part we're looking at, is the blaming. It's that thing that we do to make ourselves try to feel better by blaming someone else for our. Because we feel now we have this, our wrist is broken. We're having all of these. We're having a surgery on it. We feel bad, and we think about that person. We think they would just be paying attention. What's wrong with them? they must be like an inferior being. <laughs> you know, and so we're we're blaming them. And, and what it's about, you see, is not feeling our direct experience, our immediate experience. So so you can see that, yes, in a case like where someone's done something and it's not been helpful, you need to deal with it. Very practical. Does that answer your question? It's two it, things.
1: There's, there's a gray area where... Obviously, if you get hit, you got to deal with that. But there's an area where you can decide, I'll just live with this and enjoy this the feelings that come up. Absolutely. And let it ride. Now,
0: that's that also is actually very helpful if you can do that. If, say, it's just somebody comes up to you and they're just rude. You are just such a bad person. And they just lay it on you and they're very sarcastic. And then they just walk off. And you could have punched them in the nose. But you didn't. You're just like, oh. And you're just... And you're feeling how hurt you are. Perfect opportunity. You just dwell with that feeling. Rather than thinking endless thoughts about trying to make yourself feel better, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any reason to believe what they say because, I mean, just consider the source. You know? See, that all, that's not, that's not helping because it's, that's actually hiding from what's being felt. We want to feel what's there let all that go, and just feel embarrassment, humiliation, anger, they're all just bubbling. And when we allow that to be there, it's very, very interesting what we can see. And Of course, I said, with repeated practice, first few times, it's going to be very hard, very difficult. You're going to go, well, I don't know what that idiot was talking about at the center. This doesn't make any sense. But, as we get more into it, and we continue to practice, we begin to see, oh, yeah, I need to be aware, I need to feel what's here. We're already whole, but we don't know that, because we keep pushing things away. See, and if we let that in, then that's, that's our wholeness, kind of allowing everything just to be. We're appreciating that. We can appreciate being that. That whole sense of someone coming and and being rude to us. We can appreciate that. Does that help?
1: Mm-hmm. But I was gonna say on. that in a practical sense, if that person is, you know, your mate or your friend or something, I mean, isn't there sort of a practical place for Absolutely. then you know
0: gotta work it out. Yeah. Yeah, gotta work it out. But <laughs> still, in the midst of that you have that little piece where we don't like how we feel. That, right. that just wants to be known so bad. It wants it's, you know, it's a suffering little creature. It wants to be held. It wants to be known. <laughs> and it won't ever be known if you just keep pushing it away and arguing, Well, I don't like the way you're making me feel.
1: Right. But they're not mutually exclusive.
0: No, not at all, not at all. We have to work with the circumstance, but what we come to be aware of through doing this practice of blaming is how we're suffering by pushing away, by blaming. Yes? Just a comment. Um, It seems to me that in relationships, often when we are identifying as the suffering person, we create something for that other person to act upon, and so we actually kind of set
2: up the situation to happen. So if we get out of that, it's almost like it diffuses the problem. Often. I mean, there's sometimes where
0: the other person might just, you know, doesn't matter what you do, they're going to be running their story. But, you know what I mean? That's true. That's very true. And and relationships have a lot of dynamics in them a lot of times. And what you you do then is you, you try to, you know try to be open, and you try to see not just the other person and how they're relating to you, but the image of you and how the image of you is relating to them. The story, you know, do you know what I mean when I say the image of you? It's just the, the sense of who I am, that little person, in this relationship, has certain styles or whatever, and... and as this, um, whatever, this little argument or whatever is unfolding, that style is coming out. And you want to be able to see both of them. You want to see the way that whole thing is working. And then if there is a sense of blaming that's popping up in there, then that's your opportunity just to be still, to be aware. And if the other person continues to, you know go on and on and on, that's, you know, you just sort of watch. It's kind of like what you said earlier about if you just love somebody, then they can't help but love you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
1: And I wonder, too, if in those relationship situations, if if we are able to take responsibility and get out of that place of blaming and recognize what's going on, that there's also an opportunity to practice charity. In terms of offering back, I mean that's sort of the feedback piece that somebody up front was talking about. Yes. To offer, you know, here's what, here's what I see that that might be useful to you. That's that spiritual, you know, the spiritual asset of being able to recognize the, the blaming piece and stepping back from that and feeling the feelings and then having something to offer back.
0: Yeah. Sometimes, though, in the midst of a... If we got a little heated thing going, sometimes we need to have some space maybe to bring that up later.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we'll be... Uh, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes?
1: I don't know if I can relate this very well to the current conversation, but um, I was um, in Vancouver with Greg Braden um, yesterday, and he was talking about um, gratitude and appreciation as the means by which we are able to um, experience our connection with everything yes and and without it, what we experience is our separation. And so uh, it's like when i'm I'm offended by the other, if I uh, there's an immediate probably... He'd say, feeling of separation. And if I can acknowledge that feeling, which is related to fear, um, and and just be with that, and surround it with love and appreciation, um, it's sort of like this clenched fist in the center, and then... I surround it with love and appreciation, and it just opens up. and And he showed pictures of how the DNA relaxes when we move into love and appreciation. I mean, I, we can do that for each other.
0: Oh, it you're so you're world. so right. He's right. I that sounds like a, a, a very interesting teaching. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar.
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> you know,
0: it's funny because. That's my experience. When we do meditation practice and we do precept practice, we must get our heart into this. It's We have to feel our experience. It's like if we're just doing it in our head, if we're aware of things in our head, it's an idea. We're not actually having a true recognition of what's here. And the the real recognition is not an idea. So feeling our experience and feeling in this way with this appreciation, with gratitude, is sort of something which naturally arises when we start to pay attention. We just start to see we don't know what anything is. And it's that, you know, just like what Jack Cornfield said, it's like once we realize we don't know what anything is, we can't help but appreciate. Either we're frightened to death by that, or we appreciate And if we're frightened, then we just examine fear and allow the fear... Okay,
1: so apply that to meditation. This guy showed an image yesterday, um, a picture that was taken at a place in China called the Medicineless Clinic. And this woman had a tumor the size of my fist." And he made the point they were not trying to remove the tumor. They were appreciating the tumor and all the other possibilities for this being's life. They were simply expressing pure love and appreciation for what
0: is. Well, that is the teaching. Uh, I've I've never had any experience with the the rest of the medical part of it, but but what he is saying has that kind of a transformative effect.
1: So I tried this morning with meditation. I decided this morning to just be in appreciation for this meditation, and however it was coming, it was perfect. Just... Thank you. And That's it was a whole different experience. It's a
0: totally different I've been experience.
1: Watching it for twenty years in fear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. It's sort of like being in awe of your experience when you're just watching the sensations of breathing. You don't even know what this is. So it's it's like rather than just discounting it offhand, like we often do, we're there. We're present with it. There it is. And there is deep joy in just a moment of being with this sensation. Just that being present in that way is a deep, deep joy. Looks like we've gone on quite a while, so let's bring it to a close, and then you're welcome to stick around and have some tea and conversation. And Till I see you all again, peace to you all.